Shepard was asking for it for three. Well, he felt it, didn't he? He was begging. Oh, what a play by Matt Mitchell. To Watson, sees a lane, takes it underneath. Montana three. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's up, Aztec Nation? Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. This is Trone hosting uh, obligatory everything, right? Make sure to, to, if you aren't already, follow the show, uh, like the show, subscribe to the show, five-star reviews, all the everything. You can find the show on pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. The big ones are Spotify and Apple and Google. You can find Trone, myself, at Aztec Breakdown all across social media. Twitter is where I am the busiest, um, but you can also find me on Instagram, on Facebook. I occasionally post on Aztec Mesa, uh, so you can find me all sorts of places. Just have a look, and you'll probably find me there. Uh, you can follow the other hosts of the show who aren't here at the moment. Uh, you can follow Austin at It's Austin Bolton. You can follow Carly at Carcar McGee. You can follow Kyle at Call Me Kinslow. And you can follow Jacob at Aztec Analytics. With that out of the way, let's get into the show here. The Aztecs are now 2 0 in conference play after defeating the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, 72 61 uh, in Viejas arena. It was an important win. Uh, The Aztecs are currently tied for first place in the conference. It's only been a couple games, so it's not saying a whole lot, but they're tied for first place in the conference right now with Utah State. It's it's a little scary position because the Aztecs, according to Ken Palm at least, uh, the Aztecs have played the easiest conference schedule so far which for some teams is just one game and and for other teams is only two games so it's super early uh and there is it should be noted that like if you are the best team which according to ken palm the aztecs are right there's a lot of good talent at the top i'm not trying to to uh you know start anything or like discredit anybody but just according to ken palm the Aztecs are the best. They're 21st in the nation. The next closest is Colorado State at 25th. So if you're the best team, you can't have the hardest schedule in in the conference because you can't play yourself, right? So everybody else is going to have to play you and that's going to boost their numbers. But the Aztecs currently have the easiest, which makes sense because they played, they played Fresno State, who's in last place in the conference and is also the, I guess they're the second lowest team, but it's close. Uh, and then they played UNLV, who is by no means a bad team, but they are bottom half of the conference probably. Uh, So there is that. The reason I bring that up is because Utah State has played a much more difficult schedule so far. Uh, They beat Air Force, who is the worst team, but then they beat Colorado State last night. Yeah, last night. It was at home, but they beat Colorado State. It was a big win for them. They did storm the court afterwards, and for a second, I was like, why are they doing that? And then I realized Colorado State was the 13th ranked team in the nation. Like, if if you can't storm the court after beating a top 15 team in the nation in the AP poll, then what are we even doing? So props to them. They have been proving everybody wrong. Um, basically, the point I'm making is their, their two games seem stronger than our two games, 
and it's it's the conference record doesn't matter in terms of selection or whatever, but it's you know they can't lose to Colorado State at home anymore, and the Aztecs still could is basically the point I'm making there. Regardless, the Aztecs are are tied for first place a couple games in, which is great. That's that's where you want to be. Looking at some of the performances from the players, Jaden Ledee was amazing yet again. Uh, he took 14 shots. He scored 20 points. He also had 11 rebounds, so double-double for Jaden Ledee. He drew eight fouls, which I I love. I, I really like it when players draw fouls that, as long as it's not like a James Harden type of trying to draw fouls, right? Like the, the cheeky stuff that in the NBA used to be legal, and I understood why people do it, but it, it just felt gross. And I don't think that's not what Jaden Liddy does. Jaden Liddy's just a big dude. And so he draws a lot of contact and oftentimes he gets a lot of fouls. And that does that like has a lot of impacts on the, the opposing team, whether it's getting to the free throw line where Jaden Liddy has been a good shooter all year against UNLV. He was only four of nine. So that was disappointing. But, uh, you know, whether it's, it's shooting the free throws or whether it's just getting opposing players into foul trouble, that's a huge benefit as well. So Really, really liked that. He had a really good game, and for the few minutes he was out of the game, things weren't looking good for the Aztecs. Uh, they did, I mean, overall, they had a sloppy game, but it got particularly bad when when Liddy wasn't in the game. So major props to him. If I wanted to be really nitpicky, and this isn't the first time I've brought this up, but his decision-making, especially when he's double-teamed, isn't always great. And it, it very much seems to me like something that he's never really had to do. And so he's just not that good at it. And here's here's what I mean by that. Um, I mean, for one, he's been a bench player his whole career. And they tend to not get double teamed. So is that. But even, even more than that, oftentimes when he's double teamed, he can kind of just muscle his way on through. And it doesn't really impact him all that much. And so he hasn't had to learn how to make the right reads. He can just he can do the same thing he was going to do basically, and still and still get through it. And I think what we're going to see in conference play, we've seen it before, but I think we're going to see it more and more in conference play. Is and and especially like in the conference tournament, uh, we're going to see people figure out kind of how to do it so that he can't just muscle his way through necessarily, uh, whether it's technique, whether it's timing, uh, whatever, whatever it might be. And I think we saw some of that last night against UNLV because the way they were double teaming was pretty clever. The, the timing of it, I think they were waiting for him to dribble. I don't have a replay of the game, so it was all just live, and it's it's hard to dissect this stuff live sometimes. I think they were waiting for him to take a dribble first, but where the double team was coming from was from the, the closest player to the baseline. So if, if you picture you're on the low block where Jaden Ledee is, and you are facing the sideline, you're not facing the rim, you're facing the sideline. Right, and you're trying to look over your shoulder, and Ladie is going to be looking over the shoulder that's to the half court line, right? The side opposite of the rim, because that's where you see most of the floor. That's pretty standard stuff. You don't want to look over your shoulder to the baseline because then you can't see hardly anything. But looking over that shoulder there in your peripheral vision, you still can't see 
unless you like really commit to it, you can't see the defender along that baseline there. And so if you're there and that double comes, a lot of times as the big, you aren't going to see it. And so what happened, it happened two or three times in a row. One time Jaden, he was looking and he spun over his, over his, in his case, it was his left shoulder. He spun to his left shoulder towards the baseline to shoot. And there was another defender right there. And I don't remember if the ball got stripped or not, but it, it, I think he got the shot up, but it wasn't a great shot because the defender surprised him. And then another time, the same exact thing happened and the same exact double came. And I think that time it did get stripped. And so he just wasn't able to see the double coming because of where it was coming from. And that's, I think if I'm an opposing head coach, that's something I'm, I'm circling until I see him, until I see him fix that. And there's, there's in multiple ways to fix anything that goes wrong during, during a basketball game, uh, for, for Jaden, basically it's, it's just deciding to make the right read and, and, uh, trying to be more aware of the court. And you do kind of have to commit to that turn a little bit more to see if that player is coming or not. Um, and that'll, that'll just help him out a lot. And that'll be what coach Detra has talked about so often in, in terms of, he's talked about how we all know Jaden can score. We all know he's, he's great at attacking the glass, but those things don't necessarily help you elevate your teammates. Right. And that's, that's the difference between the really good players and the great players. If, if you think back on past guys, such as Malachi Flynn, in, in recent memory, right? He was a fantastic player, but he also, everybody around him was made better because he was there. And sometimes that's a presence thing. And I do think Jaden has that just by being on the floor, everybody around him is better because he draws so much attention. But there's another level of that where he's on the floor, he's drawing this attention. And now other guys are able to capitalize off of that attention in a more direct way because he's able to draw that double double team and then kick it out to whoever who can then take an open three point shot or attack a closeout, or it's a big to big pass where he's just passing it across the key to somebody like Elijah Saunders or Jay Powell or whoever, who then gets an easy dunk. Um, any number of these things would, would help Liddy take that, that next step. So like I said, super nitpicky. Uh, if, if Liddy doesn't do that, he is still, a fantastic player. He is still uh, arguably the choice for player of the year so far. Uh, there is there is competition. I won't get too much into it right now. Probably I think Isaiah Stevens would be the other clear cut choice. And honestly, both of these players could be all Americans, which would be amazing because the last time the Mountain West had two all Americans was 2011, and that was Kawhi Leonard and Jimmer Fredette. So to get Jaden Ladee and Isaiah Stevens as all Americans would be fantastic for for san diego state and for the conference as a whole which then hopefully once again is great for san diego state as the conference gets more more notoriety so moving on from Liddy, uh i wanted to talk about lamont butler relatively briefly here uh, lamont butler i forgot to mention about Jaden Liddy. Jaden Liddy was a team leading although maybe not team best and i can talk about that in a minute uh plus 17 um Lamont Butler was plus 10, so very solid in his in his 28 minutes of play. Only had five points, so not lighting up the scoreboard there. Uh, zero rebounds 
as well. He did have a really good assist to turnover ratio, three assists to one turnover. So that's solid, just being kind of, you know, floor general-ish. It's it's not, you know, three assists isn't ecstatic. That's kind of standard point guard stuff, but combining it with only one turnover is really good, especially for a player like Lamont, who throughout his career has been turnover prone, right? He's, he's basically doing... He's getting slightly more assists this year overall, but his turnovers are way down, and there's there's a lot of value in that. The thing that I really loved seeing, and that more than anything else, I think, is helping me believe that something is finally starting to turn around for him, is that he was three of four from the free throw line, and he got fouled on a three-point shot and hit all three of his free throws. Uh, and his, his free throw shooting has been bad this year. I don't think that's news to anybody. Um, he has shot 45% against division one competition on his, on his free throws. That's terrible, right? Those are, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but like Shaq shot better than that. Like right now, a legit defensive strategy would be hack Lamont Butler for opposing teams, especially in late game situations. Right? So, that's really bad, but he has been turning it around slowly, but surely here he's made five of his last six free throws over the last three games. Technically he didn't take any at Gonzaga. So zero for zero, uh, but it's, it's starting to turn around, right? Which is also kind of impressive that he is sorry about that. That's my phone. It's also kind of impressive that he's shooting 45 after hitting that five of six, um, because that means like that's the improvement. He's only shot 31 free throws on the season. So that's a pretty steep improvement. I think a week ago it was closer to it was like in the 30s percent for, for free throw shooting. So um love seeing the improvement and hopefully he keeps it up. I you know, I always said on the show, I don't know if it's mental or physical, whatever it is, maybe a little bit of both, but it seems like it's turning around, and I think that will that's a good indicator of everything else falling into place in that regard. Next player I would like to highlight is Micah Parrish. And the reason I want to highlight Micah Parrish, you know, he, uh, he had 14 points, which is really good. Only two rebounds, which isn't terrible for a wing, but I think I would like to see more. Did have three steals, only plus four in the plus minus. But the reason I wanted to highlight him is because the last show I did, Micah Parrish was the focus of my hater in the Homer and hater section. And I called him out for, if you want to be the, the motor city bad boy, you have to actually go out and do things right. You can't be all talk and no bite. You actually have to leave. You have to actually perform well on the floor. And that was after the Gonzaga game. And since then in, in the two games, really since then, He's done that. He's performed well on the floor. Like I said, he 14 points and two rebounds. And he had some big time shots too that that aren't the type of shots you want to count on. But they definitely helped the game go the way that it did. I think he had two separate three-point shots that were shots off of broken plays where the shot clock was winding down and you just got to chuck up a prayer and they went in. And one of them I think even banked in. So it's not something you want to count on, but you're happy that he did it. Uh, so shout out to Micah Parrish for that. Uh, that's always, always good to see when a player is able to 
what's what's the phrase I'm looking for when they're able to kind of move on from a from a less than ideal performance, shall we call it? As as a whole game, the biggest blemish on the Aztecs was their turnovers. They committed 17 turnovers, and for those of you that that were able to watch it, it was it was ugly, and that's that's not news. It did not look like a very clean game. It did not look like a super well well run game, I, I guess. Um, 17 turnovers is, is never good. And they did to their credit force 14, which is a solid number. Um, maybe not elite, but it's a good number. And normally if they force 14, they're going to be in the positive on the turnover margin. This time they were, they were minus three in turnovers, which does make it even more impressive that they still won by 11 despite having three more turnovers than their opponent. So there's even there, there's like little silver linings. Hopefully they, they get it cleaned up because they have a, a tough road trip coming up here. They got, they got San Jose state who is one of the worser teams in the conference, but when the conference is good, you can't just say that, right? This isn't the San Jose state of old that's in the the high 200s, low 300s in Kempom, they're 179. They're basically an average level team. And they did just almost beat Boise State uh, in their home arena, in, in San Jose State home arena. And Boise State, once again, is, is a good team. They aren't what anybody thought they were going to be, but they're still a good team. And so you can't take San Jose State lightly by, by any stretch. So the Aztecs got to get the the turnovers cleaned up to be able to go and succeed on the road. And then after that, they're playing New Mexico in the pit. And that's going to be just, that's always like an awful place to play for, for the visiting team, the pit, especially for a team like San Diego State is going to be up and at it in that one. So the Aztecs, I, I'm not worried about it. I think they'll go and they'll do their practices and they'll get it cleaned up and it'll be good. Um, uh, but it is something to keep an eye on, especially in the sense that we've seen some issues with like beating the press and that I didn't think watching live, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't that they were getting pressed. They were just kind of having these careless, careless mistakes. You know, one was Ladie was, was dribbling in transition and he kind of pushed off on a guy and maybe it was, it was soft. I could see people saying like, that's a soft foul, but also you aren't allowed to push off on guys. I'm kind of, especially ever since the Elite Eight game last year, I'm kind of of the opinion of if a thing is a foul, it has to be called a foul, right? Because I think I think the the Creighton fans could also say, like, that was kind of a soft foul on Trammell, and it's hard to argue that it wasn't. And so if you're going to say, like, you can't call these soft fouls, that's fine. Um, but then to be intellectually consistent, you have to be – you have to say that about the elite eight too, and that the Aztecs very much uh, were like kind of almost given that game to a certain extent. Um, so in trying to be intellectually consistent, I think if it's a foul, it should probably be called. And that wasn't a hard push, like I said, but I, it's hard to argue that it shouldn't have been called. Another one was Reese waters. Once again, in transition was kind of, there was a player in front of him, and there was another UNLV player kind of running in front, but alongside of him. And Reese could have decided to go to his left where the floor was more open and he didn't. Instead, he tried to push to his right, which was where that second defender was. I think it was Caleb Boone and Boone just swiped his hand and got the ball out and it was a turnover. And it was like, that's such an 
that shouldn't be that hard of a decision to to in transition like that dribble away from where the defenders are it's it's you appreciate him trying to be aggressive like if that if the split of the double team works now he's he's has a you know straight line to the rim except for the other defenders that are there but he's being aggressive which you like usually but that it just seemed like a bad decision so cleaning that stuff up i think is going to be super important heading forward before i get into homer and hater i wanted to just point out one player for unlv who was really good and it was uh thomas i guess first name is deden or dayden i apologize i'm I'm probably pronouncing it wrong his last name is thomas the freshman the freshman point guard for unlv uh who on the telecast they said was like a top 30 recruit in the nation or something which i i didn't realize um but he i thought played really well especially given the context so he had 13 points it was on 15 shots and a couple of those came at the very end i think uh kind of in in garbage time so not the most efficient uh he did have five assists and only one turnover and also two steals and so when you look at 13 points on 15 shots not great he did miss four free throws which is super uncharacteristic for him um so take that for for whatever it's worth uh he shot one of six from behind the arc which is also uncharacteristic but some of that could have been definitely been forced by the aztecs they tend to have that effect but i think for a freshman point guard to play in viejas against the reigning defensive player of the year in lamont butler and then also darian trammell who was so good at seattle as a defender that the opposing teams wouldn't let their ball handlers uh walk the ball up the floor if trammell was guarding them right so like these are two good defenders and this freshman came in and had a solid game maybe not a spectacular game but a solid game and one that i think shows that against you know when he's not playing the defensive player of the year he's going to be a lot better and as he continues to grow if he stays at unlv he's going to be a scary player to watch Um, apparently he is a hometown kid He's from Las Vegas. There is definitely the possibility that people pointed out that I hadn't considered live that he might end up leaving the team. He might get like a big NIL offer or something to go play at a power five school. That's possible. I'm, I'm as counterintuitive as in, sorry, as counterintuitive as this may sound, I'm kind of hoping he stays at UNLV because I think it'll make for some fun matchups in the future. Uh, but I just wanted to to shout him out real quick. He had a, a fantastic game. Moving on to probably my favorite segment of the show and one that Austin introduced. So shout outs, shout outs to Austin uh, for, for improving the show in all the ways that he, he has and, and continues to do. This is the segment called Homer and Hater. So this is where we give irrational takes uh, one one hater take and one homer take. They aren't necessarily things that we believe. They can be, but they don't have to be. And in my case, they usually aren't because I try to jack up the, the fire a little bit just because that's kind of the fun of it. And if we're going to do this, I don't want to do it halfway. So my hater for the game is going to be Miles Heidi. Miles is Miles played four minutes. He had two rebounds. He did have a block and a steal. So I guess 
that solid, but he only played four minutes and Jaden Liddy was in foul trouble in the second half and he still only managed four minutes for the entire game. The Mountain West has some good, good big men in the conference. We saw Caleb Boone against UNLV. That That's before we get to great Osibor for Utah State. That's before Patrick Cartier of Colorado State. That's before Omar Stanley of Boise State. I'm probably missing another one or two. Nelly Jr. Joseph for New Mexico. Right there, JT Tompin of New Mexico. Oh my gosh, there are a lot of good big men in this conference. And all those players that I just named have very different styles, but they are all effective at what they do. And so Jaden Ledee is going to need some help, especially if there's foul trouble, right? We need a big who can come in for one, for more than four minutes. And for two, a guy who can, we don't have to extend the lead while you're in, but just maintain the lead while, while you're in, right? Come in, play some good defense, maybe get a couple easy buckets, right? Offensive rebound, put back type things, um, you know, cuts, very dump offs, very, very simple stuff like that. Come in a few easy buckets, play some solid, not spectacular defense, and you can get 10 minutes a game easy. So to only get four is problematic. And that's to say nothing. Maybe I should share this hater between Heidi and Demarche Johnson because Johnson only got three minutes and I have seen some flashes from Johnson. I thought this year, but yesterday uh, against UNLV, it was just bad. He only got three minutes and it was not very pretty. So I know, I know these players are young, but we need to step up in that, in that regard. Um, that is a take that like I believe, but I wouldn't say it super like aggressively <laughs> in real life. Right. I, I have all the faith that miles Heidi will be a good player eventually. And he is young and that's, that's a thing. And he has shown flashes before, right? He's had some good games. So take all that into consideration, but the hater is, yeah, miles Heidi gotta, gotta play better there. Uh, my Homer is going to be just taking a second which I, I usually try to avoid this um, because I want to stay focused in the now, but taking a second and realizing that the future looks kind of bright here in terms of in terms of the Aztecs, right? And that's despite everything I just said about Miles Heidi, I, I do think he's going to be a good player eventually. So this kind of includes him as well, but specifically the core of Elijah Saunders and Miles Bird is balling out, and let's. Let's start with Miles because why not? He played 15 minutes, only seven points and four rebounds, but in 15 minutes, that's actually pretty solid. Did have three turnovers. That's problematic. Sorry. Nope. Wrong column. One turnover. That's really good. Uh, and was a plus 13 in, in the box score, which was second best on the team just in terms of total there. Uh, and that's all in the context that he's playing with turf toe. And I don't know how severe his turf toe is. And I also don't know what their, their treatment plan was for it. Right. I don't know if this is a thing that you can shoot up with lidocaine so that it doesn't hurt and then just go play on it. And you're relatively fine. Right. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I have no clue how any of this stuff works. Uh, but even if you do that, like you're still injured, right? So to go out and play as well as he did and as well as he has for the last couple games is very encouraging for the future. This dude is disruptive on the defensive end. He's been playing fantastic in that in that regard. And he just continues to get 
better little by little offensively. He's made how many games in a row has Miles Bird made a three? He was shooting very poorly to start the year, and now he has made a three in four straight games. Going back to Stanford, he is five of 11 over those four games from behind the arc. Uh, five of 12, if you go back just to make it like an even five games, he's five of 12 over the last five games. So the shot is coming along offensively, which is going to be super important for him. His decision-making is coming along. His defense is still continuing to get better, but it's already at a solid level. So Miles Bird has been really good for, for what he is. And then also the other member of the core, Elijah Saunders, played a little less than 20 minutes. Um, rounding up, it would be 20 minutes. Not a super attractive box score. Five points, two rebounds, two assists, two turnovers, and a block. So nothing spectacular, you wouldn't think. But, and this is this is in reference to that that uh, thing I said about Jaden Ledee having the best plus minus, but also kind of not really, is Jaden Ledee and Elijah Saunders both tied at plus 17 in the box score, but Elijah did it in a little under 20 minutes and Jaden Ledee did it in almost 33 minutes. And so the plus minus, since it measures the the point differential during the time that you're on the floor, for Elijah Saunders to have the same point differential as Jaden Ledee in 13, 12, 13 less minutes of time on the floor is really impressive. It's really impressive. And doing it without seemingly doing anything major in the box score is also really impressive, right? It's it's hard to say exactly what it is that he's doing, but whatever, Elijah, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. It's definitely a lot on the defensive end, right? Once again, even though the rebounds aren't coming, um, the all the defensive metrics really like Elijah, so he's doing a great job. It could be, I would need to look closer at the tape for this, but it could be the case, uh, among other things, one thing he could be doing is just being really good at boxing out his guy, right? Which then allows other people, whether it's a guy like Ladie, whether it's somebody like Parrish or Jay Pal, to come in and and get those rebounds, right? Because Pal had six rebounds. And Saunders only had two, but Saunders is team best plus 17 and pal was a team worst minus six. So, you know, any number of things can contribute to that. That's an easy one that I can think of that could be the case. So shout out to Elijah Saunders. Keep doing what you're doing. Shout out to Miles Bird. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, and even though he was my hater, Heidi, keep improving, right? I don't know if keep doing what you're doing is the right thing after the UNLV game, but keep improving, right? Just keep keep that, keep it down on the grindstone, whatever the phrase is. I apologize, man. I am all out of sorts right now, but it's all in good fun. The last thing I wanted to talk about, and then we'll sign off here. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, but I think that's okay, is discussing the path to a Mountain West championship for the Aztecs. And this is regular season championship. And the path is going to be hard no matter what. There's no, there's no way around that. I don't think that it's, it's not going to be easy. I think the, the best thing to do, the thing you want to shoot for 
is first off, you stay undefeated at home. The Aztecs are 2-0 at home in the conference, so there's seven more home games left. Winning all of them will be crucial because if you drop one, that's an extra one you're going to have to win on the road, and there are just so many good teams in the conference this year that that's going to be hard. So you have to win at home. They play everybody except for Fresno State and UNLV at home still. So that's New Mexico, that's Nevada, that's Boise, that's Colorado State, that's Utah State. Everybody, right, is is still playing, yet to play in Viejas. If they do that, it's a big if, but if they can do that against all these good teams at home, that puts that gives them nine wins. I think the number a team is going to have to hit to get at least a share of the conference is going to be 14. There are arguments people have made that I've heard that 13 will be enough. Um, and I understand those arguments completely, but I just don't think it's the case that, that 13 wins is usually a second place team in the mountain West. And there have been years with, you know, good teams in it. And just that's, you're like 14 is pretty much as low as it goes to win the conference. And sometimes that's even still just a share of the conference. So 14 is the number stand defeated at home. That's nine. You still need five more though at that point. So when you look at the, the worst teams, then on the road, you got San Jose state, which is coming up. That's the very next game. So you have to win that one. You have to win at air force because they are the worst team. They are at elevation, and it's never easy because of the style they play, but you're going to have to win that one. That's going to be a must win. You're going to need to win at Fresno State because they are the worst team or the second worst team. I might have might need to correct myself on that one. And when I say the worst, it's all in reference to, to Ken Palm. Uh, Air Force was the worst and Fresno was second. That's right. So you have to beat Air Force. You have to beat San Jose State. You have to beat Fresno State on the road that gets you up to 12 you need two more you're gonna need to beat unlv on the road which is nice for multiple reasons it's one it's not at elevation two it's viejas east so you know hopefully it's still you know hopefully the essex can keep up that that record of dominance there um and three it's a quad two game so it's actually like a resume builder as opposed to these other games are must wins because one if you lose it it tanks your resume and two, if you lose it now, you have to beat another better team to hit that goal of 14. So San Jose state air force, Fresno state, UNLV, that gets you an extra four wins. That gets you to 13, which is the number a lot of people were saying should be the goal. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think you're going to need 14 to get at least a share of the conference. So you have to beat those four, right? Those are all basically, if you want first place in the conference, those four are all must-win games, as is basically every home game for, for the most part. That gets you up to 13. And then you're going to need to find a way to pull off one on the road between Utah State, Nevada, Colorado State, Boise State, and New Mexico. And none of those are going to be easy. They are all at elevation of some sort. They're all good teams. Boise state is the worst of them according to the metrics and they're still a really good team. And so, uh, there's going to be no gimmies there. Just choose one as, as a fan, right? Obviously the team's going to try and win all of them, but as a fan, like choose one and, and hope that they win it. 
Um, and then everything after that is just extra. It's just gravy. So that I think is the path to the San Diego States Aztecs winning a Mountain West Conference championship for the regular season, at least. The the conference tournament will be, the first game will be a struggle. The second game, the Aztecs will dominate their opponent. And the third game will just be a crapshoot and it is what it is. So yeah, that I think does it for this one. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to go follow, subscribe, all the, all the fun stuff. And we'll catch you next time. On the floor, it's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up. Now we have tasted it, we're coming back. We're coming back.